Hey everyone, welcome to the weekly recap. We're back. I'm Corey with Matlock, my husband. <laughs> but the last couple of weeks, our kids have been very sick. Yes. You were really sick. Yes, I was. Uh, so welcome back to the studio. You will notice that we are on a slightly different set because we're actually getting ready for our new format next year. So next year, there's still gonna be a weekly recap. Matlock's still gonna join me, uh, but it's gonna be a 10 minute quick recap with just me and you. And then Matlock's gonna join me for something that we're calling the weekend show, which is where we talk about all of the issues brought up by uh, our, our reading that week. So hopefully it's the best of both worlds. I hope you're excited for it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, it'll it? be good. It'll be good. Yeah. Okay, so this week uh, we were supposed to read Hebrews 1 to 1 Peter chapter 3. So that's what we're recapping right now. Let's just jump right on in. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 1. So the book opens with... Uh, you know, how God in the past spoke through prophets, but now he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. So we're in a different era. And Hebrews is going to go on to emphasize Christ's central role uh, and how we need to stay faithful to Jesus Christ above all other things, above all other priorities and, and things that we're, that we're supposed to be faithful to. Uh, Jesus is higher than even the angels. He has more importance than them. That's all in Hebrews chapter one. In Hebrews chapter two, uh, the author tells us that we have to be careful not to drift away from the gospel. That needs to stay front and center in our faith. Uh, we're told that, uh, Jesus's humanity is very important to the gospel. Uh, he was fully human so that he could redeem us as humans. Uh, verses 16 to 18 says this, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is also he is able to help those who are being tempted. So just talking about Christ's humanity there. In chapter three, we see how it's now it's not just the angels that Jesus is greater than, he is also greater than Moses, which was a big deal in uh, Jewish culture because Moses is the giver of the law. He was the friend of God. He's this foundational prophet. But uh, the author of Hebrews is very good to, to identify that Moses was still a servant in God's house, but Christ is the son over God's house. So he is greater than even Moses. Verse 12 to 14 talks about not allowing our hearts to become hardened by sin, but instead be soft towards God. We need to come to God. Don't allow our hearts to be hardened. It says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So not only don't allow yourself to become hard, but look out for one another, encourage each other so that you're, you know, so that the other person's heart doesn't become hardened by sin and just the way the world works. So encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter four. This is all about how salvation um, through Christ or salvation in Christ is compared to resting on the Sabbath that we will enter into 
uh, a Sabbath rest at the fulfillment of our faith. There is rest at the end of this hard life. Uh, But also when we come to Christ, we have rest from our own works in the sense that we're not working, we're not doing good deeds, we're not trying to follow the law in order to earn salvation, uh, but we're able to rest in the fact that Christ's righteousness is enough for our eternal life. Um, Verse 12 of Hebrews 4 is pretty famous. For the word of God is active, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, And then verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So talking about the power of God, talking about the power of his word. Also um, in chapter four, he begins to talk about Jesus's role as the high priest. So replacing the, the high priesthood of the old covenant of the Mosaic law and now moving us into um, we have an eternal high priest, one who never dies, who does not have to be replaced, who is himself a sacrifice for us, Jesus Christ. Okay, Hebrews chapter five continues on this theme of um, Christ being supreme over all, over anything. Uh, It talks about how God gives the honor of sonship and high priesthood to Jesus. Um, And chapter five begins to talk about how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which we'll get to in a couple chapters. Uh, Let's see. Um, Hebrews chapter six is really uh, talking with its audience to become more mature, um, encouraging them to interact with uh, righteous teaching by constant use, like do it all the time, really interact with teaching. And it goes on to talk about how if you truly know God and then you walk away from God, it would be impossible for you to be restored. And I know this is a really uh, controversial verse. It's contested. People people go back and forth over exactly what it means. But I really think it's pretty safe to take it as a solemn warning that if you walk away from God, if you decide that even though he's real and he is who he says he is, that you hate him, um, that you can walk away, that you can decide that you hate him. Yeah, I think that what's important here is that in that discussion of can you lose your salvation or is eternal security and stuff like that? Because that's where the debate. That's, that's where, where it goes. Um, that no one's really arguing for the, for the lose your salvation part that you can like misplace yourself. Like, oh, I forgot about it. Right. And as if like you just like <laughs> I lost accidentally it. lost it. I accidentally, yeah, right. Oh, I made this mistake and then it's gone. Uh, if all repentant believers will be saved. That's the principle, right? So the idea behind this idea of losing your salvation, the argument goes is that uh, from eternity, do you reject eternity? That's the idea. Right. Um, so whether or not that's possible, I'm not going to say, because people say the love, the depth, they won't let go. Okay, I'm not right. going to go there. Um, but the, the point is, that's the kind of the crux of it. So I think it's a philosophical discussion. Um, but I think the, the warning, just be like, look. Face value warning. Just, just don't walk away. I think it's really that easy. There's no need for argument. No need for even be a careful. big debate. Yeah, yeah just and, don't just stick with God all the time. And those warnings are all throughout scripture. You know, right. like all throughout the New Testament, like work out your own faith with fear and trembling. Like just right. be careful. This isn't something that you want to mess with. This is this is life or death. 
This yes. isn't something that you want to mess with. That's right. And I know it's difficult because there's some people who struggle with different things and they have family members who have fallen away and there's just no blanket solution for them. Yeah, and yeah, and that's some people problem. are really afraid they, to lose their salvation. But right. They want assurance in some way. Uh, by, take it. You, we need to take our faith seriously, but we also need to trust God that he's not trying to kill us. That's right. <laughs> he's trying to save us. Trust in the Lord. And that's what John talks about, which we'll get into eventually. First John. The love of God, right? Your assurance is in your love of God and knowing that he loves you and all this stuff. Yes, but and we can believe we can believe the promises that he's given us through his son in scripture. Right. We can believe that we have eternal life and that's okay. Yes. Just also be careful about our faith and where we're going. That's right. You know, pay Always. attention to it. Okay, Hebrews chapter seven. Um, this is the chapter that really talks about uh, Melchizedek as a type of of Christ, essentially. So Melchizedek is back in Genesis chapter 14. He was a priest of God um, that was not from the line of Abraham. In fact, it's before there was a line of Abraham. Abraham uh, gives a tithe to Melchizedek for God. Uh, so we see this really interesting priest. Uh, not much information is given about him, just that there was a priest of God living in Salem, which eventually becomes Jerusalem many hundreds of years later. Um, and essentially, just as Melchizedek's heritage isn't known, he wasn't a priest because, uh, you know, he was a Levite. Levites weren't around yet. Uh, he's nevertheless, you know, Melchizedek is nevertheless immortalized in the scriptures as someone who was a priest even for Abraham, uh, which is a big deal in the, in the Jewish mind of the first century AD. And essentially, Hebrews 7 is saying, Jesus Christ is like that. He's a priest, even though he's not a Levite. Right. He's a priest like Melchizedek was, outside of the Abrahamic covenant for all men, not just for people within Abraham. Right. As the Levites were. And that is further established by the fact that Jesus has bread and wine. Yeah. Uh, right, brings bread and wine, and so does Melchizedek. So we have that relationship there as well. So that covenant, the Melchizedek order of Melchizedek, is fulfilled kind of in that as well. Yes. So it, it's it's Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek of a new covenant, not arbitrated by the Levitical priests, but yes. arbitrated by himself. Yes. Right? Because in order for the Mosaic law to work, the, Le the Levitical priesthood had to be there right. facilitating it to work. Yes. But this is a new covenant outside of that, and Jesus is the facilitator, just as Melchizedek facilitated offerings before there was an Abrahamic covenant. That's right. Well, okay. Joseph is a type of Christ. <laughs> type right. of Christ. Right. Okay, Hebrews chapter 8. So this talks about how Jesus is the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. So it's continuing this theme of Jesus as the high priest, but now it's in heaven, right? And uh, Hebrews chapter 8 famously talks about how the earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple is just a shadow of reality. It's it's a type of reality, but the, but it's not actually truth itself. It's not actual reality itself that belongs to God's heavenly tabernacle. Um, and it also talks about how the old covenant has been fulfilled by Christ and is and is it's it's not in effect on Christian believers in the same way that it was. Okay, it's been fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 9. So this chapter contrasts how things happened in the earthly tabernacle to how things work now under Christ. It talks about how Jesus was the sacrifice that enabled us to serve God. Uh, 
in speaking of the work of Christ in verses 27 and 28, it says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So he's coming back to bring us that ultimate fulfillment of our faith, that eternal life, that salvation, that restoration to this Eden-like state of relationship with God. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, this talks about why Old Testament sacrifices had to be offered over and over again. Uh, and is co it contrasts that with Christ, who was sacrificed once and for all. Um, talks about how the Old Testament ways were then obviously less perfect than Christ, how the law itself, the very law itself was a shadow, and yet Jesus is the real thing. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us examples of faith from the Old Testament. So it's not that these people were righteous in the law, but they were made righteous through faith as well. So it's not just a New Testament thing, it's an Old Testament thing. So we've we've got a couple rounds of them. The first one is Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. And then there's even more examples of characters from the Old Testament. But a main point is that these figures were required to and did live in faith, meaning they believed the things that were told to them in God's name and sometimes by God him very, his, himself. So they trusted who God was, and they arranged their lives and their decision-making because of that. Um, and even still, they did not receive the fulfillment of their faith in their lifetime, the salvation of Christ, but it looks forward to that, which is really interesting. Uh, and the, the point of Hebrews 11 is that how much more then should we be faithful because we do have the example of Christ. We do see that fulfillment of faith. Okay, Hebrews 12, um, verses 1 to 3. This is the, the cloud of witnesses uh, verse. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So take heart from Christ. Uh, and note here that the great cloud of witnesses, they're not witnessing us. They're not watching us. This is a common misinterpretation of this scripture. They're not watching us, but they're standing as witnesses to us of faith in God. Mm. They're examples. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to take a swig of water. Yeah, that's a good idea. Talking a lot. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the final chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. This is just final remarks of basically things that we should be doing as Christians, and then final goodbyes and greetings and all that good stuff that closed up New Testament letters. James. James. The book of James now. Um Okay, so we're told that this is authored by James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's only two James that we know uh, well enough not to give any other identifying marker, right? Just, just as James. Uh, and because James, the son of Zebedee, you know, James and John, James, the son of Zebedee, was murdered early on. This James uh, 
is likely James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem church. Okay. So church yeah, history James also testifies. Yeah. Yeah. Church history also testifies to this, uh, that this is who they accepted as the author right. of this book. So James, the, the brother of Christ. Okay. So this book is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So likely to Jewish Christians who fled Jerusalem. That's probably who he's writing to. Uh, people that James would have known who left Jerusalem. Right. Okay. So he gives encouragement for when they face trials and temptations. And it's so so awesome in James chapter one. Uh, I mean, like there's often quoted verses, like everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right. That's in James one. Okay, James two is all about favoritism. Don't show favoritism because favoritism is evil. Um, uh, and basically, there's an emphasis on loving your neighbor as yourself. And if, right. if you ensure that you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you know that you're, you're doing good. You're right. doing good. Verses 14 to 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So um, James is teaching that you need faith and works together. Right. It's holistic. So, it, it has to be a thing that's so together. Just, and to help clarify, because some people really struggle with this. Like, what do you mean faith and works? And but doesn't Paul say? So in Romans 4 is the big argument that counters. But people tend to split these two ends. And they're not. Remember, they're not in contradiction with each other. Some people try to change the word, but what does James say? James uses the word justify. And he goes, well, maybe it means vindicate or will you be saved? Maybe he means spared. It's like, okay, guys, you're just changing words, the meaning of words here to make it fit your systematic theology. So pretty simple. Paul talks about before you have works, you have faith. That's what Paul says. Because by faith, you can't just have good works without faith. Right. But, and clearly what James corroborates this, because James says, First comes the faith, and it's completed by the works. In mm -hmm. other words, you have faith, then you have the works. They're saying the exact same thing but from different angles. Yeah. Paul's saying, okay, first, uh, here comes faith. You need to have faith in order to have good works. Yeah, it's and a then, package deal. And then and if you don't have any good works, right, what does Paul also say? You should test yourself. Like, you, there should be fruits. Mm -hmm. like, there's evidence and fruits. And then uh, Paul also says love is the greatest of commandments. Anyways, long story short, James is saying these same things. Like, look, if you have, there's no evidence that you have faith and then there's a problem maybe you don't have faith yeah if you're keeping like no i don't feel like helping you or you say positive energy right all those like funny memes you see out there oh so many memes yeah like yeah. gondor sends our thoughts and prayers that's right all these prayers sending, gondor. <laughs> where there's like you can help james is saying you can like you can help this person they need your help so then why don't you like well i'm just i, I i'll pray for you it's like, well, you can help them right now. And that's not real faith. Yeah, that's, that's not real faith. Right. Yeah. So it's like the point is, is that like real faith will naturally come out. Your belief entails you will behave. Mm -hmm. Belief and behavior are linked. You can't separate them. And we two. have to foster it. We have to try. It's not just going to happen. Like we have to put our, our right. effort and our energy and in it as well. The point here is that it's not- Because following God takes energy. Right. But it's and not that- our energy is what saves us, but- th That's exactly right. So it's- We got to put the energy it's in. It's through Christ through us. Yep. And so that's why everyone's making a big hub up about all these things. It's like, guys, it's really simple. It's, it's a logical order, which everyone knows. But the fact is people twist it. 
So it's a clear logical order to things that God is saying, look, this is how it's, this is how it is. And we're like, no, no, we're just going to manipulate it to fit our own way. I don't want to do anything. So James is going to continue to go on and talk about behavior that's not acceptable and behavior that's helpful and good. So in James chapter three, he talks about the danger of the tongue. Um, He uses... Uh, he uses some analogies, like uh, your tongue is like um, a bit in a horse's mouth. It's small, but it steers a big animal. A rudder of a ship, it's small, but it can steer an entire ship. Uh, and tongues are like that with humans. It's small, but it orients our entire life and direction. Uh, verses 9 to 10 say this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Uh, James 3 also talks about uh, what wisdom looks like, and he says deeds done in humility, essentially. It's really interesting to read. And is that the same one with the true religion? What true religion is? <clears throat> is that the next chapter? I am, I'm unsure. I don't have it in my notes living here. Living in the spirit of truth and stuff. Yeah, at the top of my head, I'm yeah. not sure which chapter that's in that I can see. Okay. All right. So James chapter four, James tells them why there are fights going on among them. Apparently they're fighting. Uh, he's talking about, you know, you're jealous. There's jealousy among you. Your own evil is causing fights among you. Uh, and he gives a, he gives them a solution in verses seven to ten. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You should read that on your own. It's really good advice in James chapter four. In James chapter five, this last chapter of James, there's a warning to people who have become rich off the backs of others. Basically, judgment is coming. Yikes! Really stern warnings in James. Uh, he wraps up his letter basically saying, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until Christ's coming, until the Lord comes back. Uh, He encourages them. He's like, look, look at how badly the Old Testament prophets were treated, and yet they stayed true to God. They stayed true to the truth. So you need to do that too. Take courage from uh, the, the accounts in the Bible. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise God. If you're sick, ask the elders of the church to pray and anoint you with oil. Okay, now we're gonna move on to 1 Peter and we're gonna do the first three chapters of 1 Peter. So this is Peter, the apostle of Christ, uh, and he's writing uh, to five Roman provinces uh, that he cites here. And he gives an explanation of the hope of salvation in, in chapter one, uh, basically that we have the mystery of the Messiah, the mystery of the Old Testament Messiah revealed to us. We know the salvation that the Old Testament prophets wrote about. Uh, they, they, they wanted to know who the fulfillment was. They wanted to know more details about the Messiah, but it wasn't their time. Uh, in 1 Peter 2, uh, he, Peter talks about how Christians are like stones being built into a house. And we might be rejected by the world just as Christ was literally the stone that the builders rejected, but it's God who's building you, so stay strong. He, he says, you know, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So how we are God's special possession. Really, really interesting. Um, He encourages them in in chapter two to live godly lives, even though they're living in a pagan society. So be different than your society. 
verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So your vindication may not come now, but it is coming when Christ returns, when God remakes all of this. Uh, and in case we didn't know what it meant to not live like a pagan society, he, he talks about abstaining from our sinful desires. And the last chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter has just told people to submit themselves to the governing authorities for the sake of being a witness to the gospel, that the live li- live such good lives, submitting yourself, that was back in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, then he moves on to wives and husbands. So this was part of their society as well. Uh, e- wives live such good lives that uh, if any of your husbands don't believe, they would listen to the gospel because of you, because of your behavior. True beauty is in godliness. And husbands, he encourages to be considerate as they live with their wives and treat them with respect uh, as heirs to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayer. So basically, if you beat your wife or you take advantage of her because you can legally or physically, uh, you'll be in trouble before God. He, He then moves on to how to struggle well. He knows that we are going to struggle in this life. How do we do it well? Uh, We don't repay evil with evil. We don't repay insult with insult, but instead we repay evil with blessing. He talks about, you know, like if you suffer for doing what's right, that's blessing. You will be blessed for that. So don't be afraid, but Always, always revere God in your hearts above all things, even other human threats. And always be prepared to give an answer uh, for the hope that's in you to anyone who asks. And that wraps up our recap this week from Hebrews 1 to 1 Peter 3. I hope you have a good week of reading ahead of you. Any comments or questions, pop them down below and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.